Welcome to Big Brave Business. This is a podcast built on the belief that you can create absolutely anything for yourself. Whether it's a dream job or a dream life, it's all possible for you. I'm Amanda Nelson, a virtual assistant and digital marketer. And that's Sarah Heater, podcast producer and strategic consultant. Each week, we will share insights from working with dozens of clients, stories of how we got where we are, and encourage you to see us as your new business besties. So grab a cup of coffee and let's talk being brave in business. Welcome back to Big Brave Business. Sarah, how are you today? I'm doing okay. I had like one of those days yesterday where I just, it just wasn't it. You know what I mean? Where you just feel like disconnected and low energy and unmotivated. And I guess we need to have those days sometimes, but I feel better today. I'm hoping today is going to be a better day. What about you? How are you doing? I am doing okay. We had a great uh, recording yesterday that I know we're continuing today and I'm feeling really good about it. Lots of thoughts, lots of thoughts, which I know we will get into, but um, I'm feeling really good today. On a personal note, I've got a dog that's not doing too great, but it's his time, so we feel okay about it. We're still heartbroken, but dealing with that a little bit today, he is currently sitting beside me at my desk, little Aubrey. Hmm. He's about to cross the rainbow bridge. It's his time, so it's it's going to be okay, but other than that, we're doing all right over here Let's talk about another heavy topic. We've covered dogs. We've covered <laughs> deconstruction yesterday. I mean, well, religious trauma yesterday. Let's uh, let's get into our topic today. Aww. Well, we love you and we're sending you just tons of love in this time. And Amanda, talk about being big and brave in the midst of <laughs> experiencing emotional trauma at home. Let's dig into the emotional <laughs> trauma of your past. I'm so, ready. <laughs> Last week, we talked about kind of the parallels and the, the correlation of marketing and capitalism and corporate life alongside like religious communities. Oh, how do I say this? <laughs> my word. <laughs> We're both, I'm both like clunking it up. I'm like, I'm great. Oh, by the way, my dog's passing away tomorrow, but I'm great. I'm like so clunky today. I don't want to be disrespectful because one thing we didn't say last week is that not all people who have religious faith in their life or have a religious community in their life are experiencing trauma. So I don't want to come across as like callous to people who religion so, brings peace. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of what I was wondering. Actually, I was thinking back about this yesterday and had a lot of people, most of the people that reached out were like, yes, I'm totally with you. But I know there's a lot of people that feel like that's an attack against them. And so, I mean, like half of Drew's family's in the ministry and they know, like they follow me on Instagram. So they had a lot of thoughts yesterday. <laughs> but part of me, what I tell people, and it might be good to include in a intro to the next week's or well, what will be next week's, but what we recorded yesterday, might, what might be a good thing to say. And I tell this to people all the time when people come at me with like, well, my church isn't like that. And my experience isn't like that. What I tell people is just because your experience and my experience were different doesn't mean that my experience isn't true. That's what right. I tell people all the time because my mom's like, I didn't experience that at Appleton Assembly. And I'm like, well, that's great that you had that experience. This was my experience. And so that's kind of what I tell people all the time. And I use that to say, I appreciate there are people that have faith that it works for them. Guess what? It did not work for me. I'm not looking to be converted. I'm just telling <laughs> you my experience. That's it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. I know. I definitely know a lot of people in different walks of life who um, their religion and their faith brings them a lot of peace. And that's wonderful. We were really trying to correlate people who have experienced trauma in all these different facets of life we experienced. And this sounds like, <laughs> I don't know, some people would call this snowflakey, but who have experienced trauma in corporate life, who have experienced trauma in online entrepreneurship or coaching, who have experienced trauma in religion. Like there are similarities and that's what we were trying to pull into last week. But this week we want to talk about deconstruction. So that's like a really big word. And I'm such a like research oriented, tell me all the thought leadership, tell me all the things people have posted. Like I want to write a thesis, you know, I want to read other people's theses. And Amanda, you are so much more of like a let's get real and dig into the like yeah. real talk, sharing experiences kind of thing. So I feel like this could be a good balance. So with this big word deconstruction, and you were the first one I think who used it on the podcast, but this big word deconstruction, what does that mean for you? And how did you first like even find out what deconstruction is? <laughs> yeah. So when I started leaving the church, when I officially left the church and I remember it was a very conscious decision I was driving back from. And I also want to say this too, if you're listening and you listened to last week's episode, I had a lot of people reach out and were asking for more stories and specific details. I'm purposely keeping this at a high level so that, that we don't lose what we're trying to accomplish here, which is to draw those parallels between the business world and organized religion. I'm really mm -hmm. trying to make sure that we don't get into story time with Amanda and more to what the themes are to what we're trying to accomplish. I will share more here today, but I am keeping this purposely kind of vague. So back to your question. When it comes to deconstruction, I really deconstructed on my drive back from being kicked out of ministry school. I was driving from South Carolina all the way back to Alabama. It was quite a drive. I was by myself. And I remember thinking to myself, none of this is what I signed up for. And none of this mm. is what I was led to believe it was going to be. Mm. And I think where I can't, a lot... Sorry, can I cut in real quick? I can't help but laugh because... And laugh in a way of like nose laughing, right? Because how many times have I driven home from work thinking exactly those words? This isn't yeah. what I signed up for and this isn't what I thought it would be. And isn't that wild, just to make that parallel again, isn't that wild to have such a similar experience in those two wildly different circumstances? But anyway, continue. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar. Uh, probably thought processes there. I think when people come at me about not having a faith and not having a religion and have left the church after being so involved, I have so much peace about it because I tell this to everybody. Nobody else was more committed to their journey than I was. I dedicated the first 20 years of my life to the faith you know, I was the person that was praying during lunch and not eating lunch because I was fasting and reading my Bible in middle school and high school. I went to college and I was the person, I was the weird like theater major who wouldn't be in plays and I would protest outside and pray for people who were going in to see plays that had homosexual themes. Yep. That was me, which is heartbreaking to think about now. I was just like dedicated. I was dedicated. I did everything that I was told I was supposed to do. I dated a guy all through high school and into college who was going to be a youth pastor because I thought that's what I was supposed to do was to be a support person to a youth pastor. 
it's just there's so many things that I dedicated and I was so hardcore about it. I decided to like drop out of being a cheerleader because I felt like it was too promiscuous. There was just so many things that I chose to opt out of because I, <laughs> I my whole life revolved around my faith. When I went to ministry school, I had worked to save up all of this money to pay for my tuition. And I was and I paid all of it up front. I had dedicated a whole year to just saving, saving, saving to be able to pay to go to ministry school by myself. Um, I didn't want to ask my parents to do it. I tell you that to say I was so dedicated to like following God. And I just knew I kept thinking like if I just got to these people, or I got out of my small town and I tried this new ministry school, or if I prayed harder, if I fasted more, if I was trying to save more people, then God would have to show up for me. He would have to finally speak to me. And so when I went to Mm. ministry school and I got kicked out for asking questions, they thought that I was a strong personality who was corrupting the other. I can't imagine that. Who would I mean, think you had you? a strong personality? Who would possibly? I mean, to be fair, it's very true to them. <laughs> but my questions were around, like, where do women fit in the Bible? Where do women fit in ministry? They took that as me trying to be combative. So they came up with all these excuses to kick me out. Since I have talked about this recording on our for the podcast on my Instagram, I had two people reach out to me and say, guess what? I was kicked out too. And it was for very similar reasons. I think Mm -hmm. it's hilarious that it was all women. So on that drive back from South Carolina, where I was in ministry school to my hometown, I prayed, I asked for guidance. And for some reason in that moment, I received so much that I was Mm -hmm. like, I'm now relieved of this burden of trying to be this like as close to God as possible. I don't think I ever really realized how heavy it weighed on me. And so the word deconstruction at, you know, 21 years old meant absolutely nothing to me. Like mm-hmm. I don't I didn't know what that was. I remember I came home and I sat in the park with my mom and I told her like I'm good. Like I'm done with it. Like I have no bitterness towards church. I have no bitterness towards faith and those who believe it. But like I'm good. And it's that's always been my personality, Sarah, honestly, like with anything, with relationships, with friendships, with workplaces, like I give 150%. And then there comes to this point where I'm like not getting back what I've put in or I'm not receiving what I wanted out of it or what I was dedicated to receive. And then I'm like, you know what? A flips, a, a switch just flips for me. And I'm like, I'm good. Like, I don't need it anymore in my life. I gave it my best shot and I'll move on. I was that way with corporate. I was that way with a lot of friendships over the years that just weren't serving me. I was that way with my first marriage. Like, I was just kind of like, I'm going to give it all I've got. And then at some point, something's got to give and it's not going to be me. I'm not bending until I break. That's just not my personality. Mm-hmm. So I remember telling my mom that. And from that day on, I'm 33 years old. I've never looked back on it. I've never once woke up and thought, man, I wish I could pray today. Or man, I wish I had my Bible reading more active in my life. There's never been a moment or a void that church would have filled for me now as an adult. Probably about in my like early 30s, the word deconstruction, trauma, and triggering, those became keywords, hot keywords, I feel like, in our society. And I started doing a lot of digging and research into other people who were 
deconstructing. I had a podcast that I've talked to you about before that I still listen to called The Drunk Ex-Pastors. They were pastors in a non-denominational version of what I was in. They were pastors. They deconstructed and they talk about their journey with their faith. And that's kind of where I realized that's what I did. Um, deconstruction to me to answer your like question with this long-winded answer, it looks a lot like unlearning behavior, um, unlearning mindsets that were ingrained in you so deep that you couldn't think otherwise. It's actions that you would have done, things you would have said that were regurgitated to you over and over and over again that were so like melted into the back of your skull that you just had to say and you had to do these things it's deconstructing Mm -hmm. stepping away from all those things and realizing that you're your own person that you have your own thoughts that you are a whole individual person outside of this entity that you were raised into that's what it looked like for me yeah thank you for sharing all of that i think I think anybody listening would be really interested just to know you better in that way. And um, and like I said before, I think that there's a lot of similarities. And, and what's interesting is I think that's how I thought and still think of deconstruction, the concept as well, when it comes to deconstructing from something. That's kind of been the way that I've thought of it as well as like this deconstruction from this like corporate nine to five mindset. And to a certain extent... <laughs> This might be extreme for some of you, but um, deconstructing from like capitalism being the be all end all. And I have my own kind of political journey of being raised in a really small farm town, America, like Cornville, USA type of thing. One stoplight, very conservative, very racist and raised by a very proudly Republican father like wrote a campaign song during Trump's first presidential <laughs> campaign. Where do level. I download it? <laughs> um, I mean, literally, I can send you links, but... Uh, Please, so, Sarah. Um, <laughs> so I, I had grown up with this mindset and this perspective on the world. And even though I've always kind of been more socially justice driven. I also like, I was very much part of this mindset and this perspective in the world that even through college, like proud Republican. And um, this isn't to come for anybody who's listening, who identifies as any kind of political party, but definitely for me, deconstruction has looked like realizing why I bought in to things I now see as myths (laughs) meant to keep people in line, meant to keep people small, meant to keep people submissive. And I feel like that's really similar to some of the things you're describing. So I just feel like it's worth sharing and relating. I know it's sensitive for people and both of these things are sensitive for people who may strongly identify with their faith or strongly identify with their political party or whatever. But I think it's important to talk about because I think there's deconstruction going on for all of us. And one thing that really interested me when I actually started doing some <laughs> nerd nerd level research on deconstruction is that you know we also hear about deconstruction when it comes to like art 
write and writing and poetry and deconstruction, I guess, like the clinical, more clinical definition has more to do with breaking something down into parts to understand how something was created or like what the different parts are that make up something. So it's more about understanding how something came to be from a like literal definition rather than this process of unlearning, which is kind of how it works in practice, right? But it's interesting to me because I think a lot of what deconstruction that we think of as like a behavior or a phase or like a a process that we're going through in life, I think a lot of that does involve learning, breaking it down into parts and learning like how this came to be. Do you resonate with that at all? Yeah, I think it helped me to to kind of see Christianity from a step away, a higher level, like specifically because I was raised in organized religion. There is a big difference between, in my mind anyway, between being a part of an organization like the Assemblies of God, like the Baptist, like the Methodists. It's an all organization driven than it is for me to look at Christianity as a whole. I respect the faith of Christianity. I do not respect and appreciate and encourage the organization of Christianity. That's the big thing. I think people, if I could say anything to anybody is like, and I told you this a minute ago, it's so true that my experience and your experience could be totally different. I understand people tell me all the time, well, my church isn't like this. You can come to my church. My church isn't like that. And I'm like, I'm so happy to hear that your church isn't like that, like the experience that I had. But because your experience is different than mine, doesn't mean that mine's not true. My experience is my experience, right? So helping me to kind of see like who organized the Assemblies of God, Mm -hmm. what was the point of it? Why did we need to have that like specific designation um, outside of Christianity and that origin Mm -hmm. of why we created it in the first place really did help me understand like the motivation behind it. And it's and, and so to to your point, yes, learning the origin of things with the the point of it in a way um, really helped me in my journey to kind of be like, well, it's not Christianity necessarily that's the problem; it's the organization that's now made it the vehicle of what it is today, and the curriculum that we're teaching our children in these organizations that we're not there. You can say they're Bible based; they can have scriptures on the bottom of every page, but is the is the intention? behind it based in Christianity. I don't think it is, in my opinion. So this could get complicated, more complicated than one podcast episode in a larger podcast really warrants. But I think that's true of our corporate life too, being rooted in capitalism and understanding how capitalism has evolved and understanding where it came from and understanding how what we think of today as quote unquote real jobs, this corporate nine to five life, understanding how like the origin story of how this came to be and like why it even exists. Yeah, I will stop you there. And I have given my definition of deconstruction. Why don't you share for our listeners what you mean? You've talked about capitalism a lot. Why don't you talk a little bit about what that means to you and what capitalism is in general? Oh, my God. Okay. well, I mean, like you could get an entire PhD in that. But I think I would say capitalism, understanding like our economic system in the United States and the way most of the world is operating today in 2023, at least the first world operating on this idea of (laughs) I feel like there's going to be somebody who's listening who's like, that's not the legal definition of capitalism. But like 
this mindset or this structure it's not a mindset this structure where uh, it's like ruled by corporations and so it's private company based and there's like I'm like there's so many layers to this so like but, the way we buy and sell goods the way we work as a as a yes. well, what makes our society go and go around and what manipulates yeah. how we our yes. behaviors but specifically when we're when we're talking about capitalism in this context it's also the idea of private ownership it's the idea of like owning a company right like owning a business that is part of like capitalism and everybody's individual wealth and the way social classes are structured, like our economic classes are structured and our cost of living factors into that, owning property factors into that, buying and selling property, which counts as, I guess, buying and selling goods. But all of those things like and how that balances with our human rights, like our right to like and you could, I guess, debate about this, but like, do you have a right to have a roof over your head? Do you have a right to safe and affordable housing? Do you have a right to, I mean, safety in general? Like, do you have a human right to that? And how do our human rights to exist and to take up space factor into a truly competitive economic atmosphere. So if we are buying and selling property and companies are private and we own and we have this idea of ownership, like everybody has their individual ownership, then how does that come into play when people's rights are being violated? And how do we balance protecting both? And there are definitely schools of thought that you can have both. And there are definitely schools of thought that you cannot. I think where I kind of land is that <laughs> you cannot really have both, but that we do exist in a society that is built on these capitalist principles. So we have to figure out how to exist and try to thrive as best we can and try to support other people as best we can in a system that doesn't work for us and does not protect our human rights or other people's human rights. <laughs> okay. That's like really big. And yeah, really I'm intense. still confused. I'm a little confused, but I think I understand what you mean in relation to organized religion. It's organized organizational based. It's not focused on the individual necessarily. Would you say that's fair? Um, actually I would say <sighs> Okay, that's a whole other conversation. Here's how I would say it's related. What's related is that I think it's this idea that the powers that be, right, the the person or the people in or, or the power structure that exists, the level, the elite tier that is in a position of power that is decision making and that is controlling the larger community, um, and then being part of the larger community means being subject to learning ideas and perspectives only from the perspective of being within the system that you're in. So like in religion, right, in a in a religious community like what you have described, and I'm not trying to tell you what you've experienced so you can correct me, but like this idea that you're taught what to think and believe, and that is the only real perspective that you know. And when there are other perspectives that you're lightly introduced to, like this, uh, some people think this and they're wrong, what you're taught is this is why they're wrong. So you don't necessarily know. Like, I think it's a pretty common public education in the U.S. thing to teach, like communism is the only alternative to capitalism and communism never works, right? Like, have you heard that? Does that feel yeah. familiar? 
Okay, so that's like (laughs) the only real thing, to be honest, that's the only real thing we're even really taught about communism. And there's just an assumption capitalism is just what it is. It just is. That just is the economy. That just is how economics works. That's like how we're taught in the U.S., So then you're not really given the opportunity to explore or assess what capitalism is or whether or not it works for you or for anyone else, frankly. And the reality is that in practice, how it actually ends up working is only for the very wealthiest of the wealthy. It works for them and it keeps poor people poor. And I think there's some similarities in that where like, I think there are a lot of times, and again, just from conversations you and I have had about religion, where people in certain religious experiences and certain religious communities might experience, especially women, like they're kept really submissive. They're kept really quiet. Like you are not allowed to ask questions. Um, So the structure, the power structure is built in a way to keep you submissive. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar. Very similar. The tones are very very similar the goals are very similar Um, and that's not by accident and that's what I like I personally would really like to get across with this of like why I think it's relevant to talk about your experience Amanda with religion and deconstructing from a religion and having the experience that you had from religion because uh, first of all I think it's a way to like get to know you better because it's a big part of who you are but in your life experience but second of all I think there are a lot of things that we can relate to when a lot of us who chose to pursue entrepreneurship chose it because the quote-unquote nine-to-five life didn't work for us. It's like there are some people who never had a nine-to-five job. They figured this out earlier and like that's amazing but it's still the same kind of idea that I knew that wasn't going to work for me, right? Like I always say about working a nine-to-five job that if I haven't lost you yet, this will hopefully bring you back. Working a nine-to-five life, I spent more time doing work I didn't care about with people I didn't like And now with entrepreneurship, I can do work that I love and focus on the people and the things that are most important to me, right? So for me, my rejection of like that corporate nine to five life is like, wait a second, my priorities are all fucked because I'm spending my whole workday exerting all of my energy and my time and my talent on something that doesn't deserve me. And then I come home to the people and the things that do deserve me and I have nothing left to give. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, so for me, my rejection of that like came from there. And then starting to dabble in entrepreneurship, one of the big questions for me is like, how do I build a business that doesn't become all the things I hate about corporate nine to five life, especially as building a team, right? How do I build a team in a way that I'm not continuing hiring practices that I myself wouldn't do. I don't want to go be hired by somebody else. I don't want to go be managed by somebody else. So how do I build a team without becoming all the things I reject? Like that is hard. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely is. It's all about, I think, trying to find that balance of, of intention. Um, what is your intention at the end of the day? I think that's how you become a great leader of a team, to your point. I think also your intention behind your faith like what's the what's the point at the end of the day and i would encourage anybody to to think about this i constantly ask myself 
almost to the point of exhaustion. <laughs> Anytime I do anything, and it really started after I left corporate, which is what is my intention behind the work I do, behind the food I eat, behind the goal of the day? Like, what's my intention at the end of the day? Do I have good intentions? That really and goes back to you being the girl who asks too many questions. And isn't yeah. that interesting to see that as a strength? What, what they kicked you out for now is a strength for you in that constant deconstruction and unlearning process, like breaking things down and understanding how they came to be is like, why do I do this in the first place? Why yeah. do I do this in the first place? Why am I doing this? And does it matter to me? And if it does, it holds value. Yeah, I do it to the point of ex of exhaustion, mostly because um of my upbringing, this is, and this is something I wish people would understand. I know that the word triggered to a lot of people has become kind of like a snowflake word, you know, oh, that triggers me. Oh, that triggers me. I deal with the aftermath of my upbringing. The first 21 years of my life, I deal with that every single day. It also plays into the fact we've talked about it before about I'm an Enneagram six first and foremost. And the negative side of an Enneagram six is overthinking, over worrying, being an anxious mind. And I question my intention because I grew up with that constant narrative in my head that I'm not good enough or that I am doing things to like bring attention to myself. That was a big thing that I heard growing up is, you know, why are you always trying to make it about you? It should be about God. And like when you're performing, it's obvious that you're trying to make yourself look good when it should be more focused on God. Hey, and maybe all that is true. That all is true. But I know my heart. And I think that goes back to your point about being a good leader of a good team and not just like creating the thing that you hate. What's your intention? Like, are you, my intentions are good. My intention is to never get someone to agree to work with me to take their money and never talk to them again. My intentions are to never say words that are intentionally going to hurt someone to make myself in the moment maybe feel better or talk out of frustration. Like my intentions are always pure. They really are. I try very hard to be intentional about the things I say, the things I do, the things I commit myself to and always delivering on those things. And that's what I don't think enough people talk about is like, what's your intentions behind whether it's being a good leader in your workplace? What's your intention behind being a Christian and calling yourself a Christian? Is it to make mm -hmm. other people feel bad? Are you a Christian because it's easier to make yourself feel more superior? Like what's like at the end of the day, are your intentions in line with what Jesus or whoever your God is would be proud of? I mean, really, those are really hard questions to ask yourself at the end of the day. But I feel like that was a big part of my deconstructing those those belief systems because it reaffirms to me I am a good person. I do have good intentions. My heart is pure for people. Like I do mm -hmm. want the best for literally everyone. There's plenty for everybody. And I think if we can combat negative thoughts, whether it's around Christianity, whether it's around corporate mindsets, whether it's around business in general, if at the end of the day, you go to bed knowing that you did your absolute best, like that's all anybody could ever ask of for you. Yeah, I think that's a really positive way of looking at things. I think sometimes I can spiral in never feeling like I'm doing enough. And I think that's part of it too of kind of i mean a big part of deconstruction i think is grieving and i yeah i think sometimes i find myself just yes trying to stay really clear on my whys and i would say for me like my intentions are i want to i mean make enough money to live 
to have stability and safety for myself and my family. And uh, you could even say for my children and their children who don't exist yet, right? Like, I think there's a certain level of like also wanting to build security and stability for my family, like longer term multi-generational. There's also definitely an intention behind what I do of, like I said, of wanting to focus on the people and the things that matter most to me. And I want all the people I work with to also be able to do that. So whether that's clients or team members, I want my clients and my team members to be able to focus on the work and the people who mean the most to them and to try to build that way. I I want them to, anybody that I work with, to feel like they are receiving value. So that's both, again, clients receiving value, team members receiving value as a result of working together. And that value can look different, right? Like team members, I want them to feel like they're well compensated and I want them to feel like they're treated well. And hopefully I'm achieving that. I think, um, you know, you know, like we work together, obviously, you're a part of my team. And I think trying to make sure that you always feel appreciated. And also, we have a lot of conversations about like the opportunity for you to focus on work that matters to you, that you enjoy, that you like. And if you hate something or if you don't like it or if it frustrates you, like how can we change it? If it's taking too long, how can we, you know, eliminate it or dissect it or whatever or or move it around to somebody else's plate who it might be a better fit for? And we also have had conversations about like, yes, raises, like, yes, I want to pay you more. We've done that multiple times where we've increased that amount. And so I think those are all all important intentions for me in business and in life. And yeah, it's hard. So th- I did have like a vision for this episode and we didn't even get to it. Do you, are you up for a part three? Or Let's do you want to call this done? Do you want to put move on from this conversation? No, I don't. I could always talk about it. I think it's um. I don't look at it as a negative topic. I told you that if if I come off like I'm stressed or anxious about the topic, it's only because I really want to do it justice and yeah. be a good. By no means do I take myself as a candidate or an example, but there are a lot of people who have been on this journey more than me before me and after me. Yeah. And I just don't, I want to speak in a way that gives them totally some, it feels some understanding. Like so a lot of pressure to try to be like a spokesperson for something that's see, such a I big don't, topic. I don't want to be a spokesperson, no, but neither. I do want to be me an neither. example. Yes, yes, um, yes. That, that your life is not over and you're not a, yeah. Correct. So I don't feel I'm totally up to talk about it as many times as you want. And I will tell you this too, if you're listening to this and you have thoughts or you've been in a similar situation or you're in it now, my inbox on Instagram is always open. I have would love to talk to you one on one if you're if you're comfortable and you want somebody to talk to like this is a heavy topic. It's a heavy journey for a lot of people. And I will tell you this, it is very lonely. And I went through it by myself. I understand. And if you need somebody to talk to, vent to, my Instagram is at Amanda Nelson Reads, R-E-A-D-S. And I am more than happy to talk with you. But of course, you can always find us at Big Brave Business on Instagram. And you can find Sarah at Sarah K Heater. And don't forget that every single Wednesday we have brand new episodes over on YouTube. They are not this content. They are totally different. We actually get to interview people that we love and admire and that we think you'll find interesting. We ask them all kind of fun questions like, hey, what's your Starbucks order? Or hey, what'd you have for breakfast? And then we talk about other things like when did you start your business and why? So we get into all kind of fun stuff that's entertaining and 
Sarah edits every single one of those and they're hilarious. So <laughs> Thank I you. highly, you're welcome. Um, I also realized how many faces I make when people are talking and it's annoying, but go ahead and watch it. It's it's ridiculous. My favorite um, Sarah thing to zoom in on. <laughs> yeah, Sarah zooms in on my face and my my ex, my ex, gosh my face and my expression. reactions to the expression. That's the word. You got there. Sarah, God, Sarah zooms in on my face and my expressions all the time, and I realize that every single thought I ever think goes right across my face. So if you're interested in seeing seeing that, head yeah, over to our YouTube at Big Brave Business, and we will be back with part three.